Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Hey Amen. Well, come on. We're going to get into the Word today. I'm so excited to be uh, able to preach again. I love speaking. I love preaching God's Word. And um, I just love it when God reveals things to us in Scripture that just changes our life. If you're new here, maybe it's uh, you're new in the last couple of months. Uh, I, like to, uh, I like to just spend this time getting right into it. Getting right into the Word and letting God's Word change our lives. If we come to church and get uh, tickled by a cute message, that's fun for a while. But our objective is to uh, really see you become healthy, growing, and loving in your walk with the Lord. And this year, we believe that that's what's going to happen. Starting a 21-day uh, prayer and fasting. Now, if you did the math, you might think I don't know how to do math when you look at our time frame. The 21st 20 to the 28th is actually 22 days. And I realized that later, but I want you to tell you I did that intentionally. <clears throat> uh, because most people on the day of fasting say, oh yeah, today's a day of fasting. And I already um, ate a you know, six-course breakfast this morning or something like that. So anyways, the truth is uh, I cannot mandate any of you to fast. That's not my job. It's not my responsibility to tell you to do anything. That's between you and Jesus. But I want to strongly encourage you to consider. We'll talk a little bit about this today. But I want to strongly uh, uh, encourage you to consider um, what God could do in your life in the next 21 days. And if you are unsure about fasting, you don't know what fasting is, you want to know more, you want to learn about different ways you can fast, go to our website, lovecitychurch.ca forward slash prayer, and there's all resources, there's books, there's articles, there's four or five different things you can do to fast. All of that I put together just for you so that you uh, don't go into this season not knowing what to do. Uh, and so uh, consider that, pray about that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that today. We're going to start a series today, and it's called, uh, it's called If My People. We're going to do this for three weeks, and then we're going to, uh, the, uh, January 28th, we're going to do a message called Life Together as we launch our life groups. And then I'm going to start uh, in February, the first Sunday of February, an extended uh, series in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to walk verse by verse, word by word, syllable by syllable through the book of Corinthians. It could take us maybe a couple years, potentially. Uh, we'll stop moments to jump into other topics and other things. But we're going to get right into that book, and we're just going to start studying the scripture in 1 Corinthians, and I'm really looking forward to that. And so today we're going to talk about if my people. What would happen if you took a focused time to pray, to fast, to consider God and your relationship with him and where you're at with him? If you took a focused time, what do you think could happen? What could God do in your life in a matter of 21 days of your life? I'd like to expect God is going to do something significant, that God's going to break old habits. God's going to break old mindsets. God's going to do something fresh and new in your life. But what could God do in your life if you took one moment, one moment of time in the next 21 days to focus your attention on him? Let's read our key text this morning for the next three weeks in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, again, you can always go to the YouVersion app and look at our notes. They're all available for you there. YouVersion app, download that and just type in Love City Church and all of our notes are there for you to save to your profile and you can follow along in that way as well. But let's read our key text this morning in 2 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Chronicles 7, 14 to 16. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven 
and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. This scripture is very clearly, God's very clearly identifying the difference between his people and people who are not his people. Very clear delineator, very clear definition. He says, if my people, these are what my people look like. These are what my people do. These are things my people do. People that are called by my name, they do these things. Very clearly the scripture identifies that this is a regular part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He is clarifying the difference between his people and other people. People that humble themselves, people that pray and seek God's face, people that turn from their sinful or wicked ways. Very clearly, God is communicating what his people look like. We jump into the New Testament, we'll see that in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus again identifies some expectations for followers of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, 2, he says, when you give. In Matthew 6, 5, he says, when you pray. In Matthew 6.16, he says, and when you fast. He doesn't say if. He doesn't say when, when one time or, 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 or ever. He, he identifies that when this happens as a disciple, when you do these things, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Come on, if you're going to make a New Year's resolution this year, let's make a New Year's resolution this year that you're going to pray more, that you're going to fast more, that you're going to give more. Because very clearly, Jesus here says that this is an expectation of those that are followers of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the fasting portion of this in Matthew 6. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that that, uh, that, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. This almost sounds like Jesus, like comb your hair for goodness sakes. Comb your hair, wash your face. No one will notice that you are fasting so that no one will notice you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, fasting, very clearly, fasting is in Scripture is taught it's to abstain from food or certain foods or to eat sparingly. It's fasting as an act of self-denial, a denying of not only my own body, but also my own wants. And, and that food and my desires are secondary to something else. Biblical fasting is not eating or not consuming something with a spiritual communication in mind. Fasting is an expression of wholeheartedness. Fasting is a way to demonstrate that we are seeking God with all of our hearts. So second Chronicles 7.14, God is identifying, I believe, what, what, what fasting looks like. He clearly identifies that this is what God's people look like when they are my people. They do these things. So if you're going to fast, this is what fasting looks like. So fasting looks like humbling yourself. Fasting looks like spending focused time with God. And fasting is identifying areas of your life that need to be recentered on Christ. Jensen Franklin, one of my favorite preachers, I love his speaking. It says, fasting is, is a principle that God intended for everyone to be able to enjoy. It's not punishment. <laughs> it's a privilege. 
By making fasting a way of life, you can get closer to God and grow in your spiritual walk like never before. Fasting is one of the most powerful weapons God has given us for our daily lives. Through fasting, you can experience a release from bondage of sin, restoration in your relationships, financial blessings, spiritual renewal, supernatural healing, and so much more. That sounds pretty good to me. Fasting, there's something about fasting that I don't think modern 21st century followers of Jesus understand. It's a missing component in our walk with God. One of the reasons I have a hard time fasting is because I like what I do. I like food. I like watching TV. I like, well, I'm not on social media, but I'm just going to say it for those of you who are. I like social media, even though I don't. I like social media. Like, I like those things. There's something in me that wants to do those things. So why would I want to give up things that I enjoy? Why would I want to not eat for five days? Can you imagine not eating for five days? Listen, after the second day, you're not even hungry anymore and you will hear from God like never before. From experience, I can tell you. If you just consider, if the Lord leads you to do that, God will break something significant in your life. I know from my life, that was the very thing that transformed some areas of habits in my life. It was a season of fasting and prayer and humbling myself and turning from my wicked ways, God did something significant. There are rewards that come from fasting. Very clearly it says in Matthew 6, 18, or we just read it, and your father who sees everything will reward you. So it says if you're gonna fast, do it in private, do it so it's between you and the Lord, but just know that there is a reward. You won't be left empty-handed. You won't be left just hungry. You won't be left disconnected from pop culture. You won't be left feeling like, what's going on? Nothing happened in my life. Listen, I promise you this. The Father promises in the scripture that there will be a reward. In 2 Chronicles, again, look what it says. I'm gonna hear. I'm gonna forgive. I'll read it. I'll list it out for you. The reward is he, he heals you. He forgives you. He transforms you. He sees you. He hears you. He comes and visits you. His heart is with you. This is a missing dynamic in our walk with the Lord. Many of us, I bet if I took a poll, a silent poll, and you could text in on your phone and say, how many of you fasted in the last, uh, last year? Uh, many of us, probably a high percentage would say, I didn't do that. Now, this isn't a condemnation thing, because listen, I don't like to fast either, okay? Let's just, just say it out loud. Does anyone in here love to fast? I know there might be a couple that say I do because they really do and they are definitely more spiritual than I am. But the reality is, guys, is that this is a missing reality, a missing component in our walk with God. And I believe today, I want you to understand there is something significant that can happen in the next 21 days of your life if you take this season seriously. Why did, why did uh, this happen in 2 Chronicles? Why was this this, uh, this portion of scripture that we are studying for the next three weeks, what happened? What's the context of what happened? Back in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David, the King David, wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had two angels called cherubim, and they would point outwards, and their wings would touch in the middle. And they believed that in the very middle of that cherubim was the actual manifest, tangible presence of God. The very God, presence of God, that created the heavens and the earth. The very God that formed you in your mother's womb, in the very recesses of this dark place where he crafted you moment by moment. And, and, and 
part, every part of your intricate part of your body was formed by this God, this presence of God, this manifest creating a powerful presence was right there in the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of it and inside was the manna, was well, the Ten Commandments, was the covenants in which God made to his people. This was the absolute manifest presence of God. And David knew that he needed to get the presence of God back into Jerusalem. So he went over there and I preached on this uh, in the summer. And if you didn't listen to it on the David series, I really encourage you to go and listen to it because it was a, a, it was a really revealing message about David's intention in bringing in the, the temple of God, or the, the Ark of the Covenant. So he brought it in. He had some problem. There was pride. There was control. There was all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, two people, or one guy died trying to bring in the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, back to the tabernacle, back to Jerusalem. I'm sorry. A lot of happened in that story. And then David realized his wrong and he was thankful and he came back and he was humble and he, he made sacrifices every six steps and finally got the, the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem and he wanted to build this elaborate temple for it and God said, you're not the one to build this temple, your son's going to do it. So now Solomon took the reins of uh, the, the rulership over Israel. Now he's in that place and he knows that he needs to keep the promise to his father and he wants to honor the Lord. And so Solomon was the man to build this elaborate temple for the very presence of God. It took seven years to build the temple. It took intricate detail and time. Gold plastered all throughout, as you see in this picture, and the gold from top to bottom. This was an elaborate process that took planning and took effort and took time of preparation so that they could build a place in which the manifest glory of God would dwell on earth. This is a very big deal to consider this. We don't understand it now, but back then, the manifest presence of God was centrally located in the ark. That was it. Right now, you can go in your car and start talking to Jesus and his presence can come in your car in a heartbeat. Back then, the presence of God was in one central location, the Ark of the Covenant. And Solomon was the man to bring this Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And he was the one to be able to build a physical temple to house the very creative, powerful presence of the majestic God. And even, even Solomon knew that this was a crazy reality. Look what he says in 2 Chronicles 6. He says, will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Solomon understood that what was about to happen was a really big deal. He was about to bring the presence of the Lord into, a, into, the, into the temple and he knew that he was about to bring in the, the, the very manifest presence of God that even the highest of heavens could not contain. And Solomon, as he finished the temple, he practiced exactly what God told us to practice. He humbled himself. It says in front of the entire community, he knelt in front of the entire community of Israel, the king of Israel, on his hands and knees, lifted his hands towards heaven. He humbled himself and he began to pray to God. He prayed, yet Lord my God, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Hear the cry, the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and uh, temple day and night, this place of which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place and when you hear, forgive. It sounds like God in 2 Chronicles 7.14 is answering the prayers of Solomon that he had made just a chapter prior. Solomon prays and God answers because he's preparing a place for the presence of God to dwell. God was already answering prayers. And then 
He identifies something else in 2 Chronicles 6, 26, just a few verses later. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you've afflicted them, then you hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants. Solomon is identifying that the people of Israel are going to sin and they haven't even sinned yet. I mean, can you imagine? It's the ribbon cutting of their temple and he's already praying about the mistakes they're going to make. He said, God, these people are going to really screw up. These people are going to fail. God, we're just dedicated the temple. We want your manifest presence to come. We want you to minister to us. We want you to forgive us. But God, do you know that, 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 that these people are going to sin? I found it very interesting that Solomon prayed that their sins would be forgiven before they even were, had committed a sin. And it's because Solomon understood that we fall short. He understood our tendencies. He understood that you and I have a tendency to fall short of the glory of God. You and I have a tendency to stray back into our old way of life. You and I have a tendency to get back into our old prideful thinking, to get back into our old way of habits of doing things without even realizing you might know not know this here today. You might be buckled into the life of a Christian and think, I'm okay, I'm doing fine. When the reality is you may have slipped back into some old thought patterns or perspectives or ideas and you don't even realize it. Solomon knew that this was the potential of the people of God. Our natural snapback is to go back to our old sinful nature without even realizing it. Solomon knew that the only way for God to come and minister to his people is if when he entered the temple that the people of Israel were ready, were righteous, were pure, had cleared all these things out of their lives in order that they might stand before a holy, righteous God in the very manifest presence of God that cannot even be contained in the highest of heavens. He knew he had to come into this place with a heart of righteousness and honor so Solomon went ahead of the people and said, these people are going to screw up. These people are going to fall short. These people aren't going to make, they're not going to make the cut. But I want, you to, I want you to forgive them. It's our tendency to wander. It's just the reality. I found this next scripture very interesting to further my point in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's read this together. It says this, remember our history, friends. Be warned, all our ancestors were led by the provincial cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters and baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain, and then uh, the, uh, God's fountain for them that stayed with them wherever they were. And the rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert, and God was not pleased. The same thing could happen to us. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up in, the, in wanting our own way as they did, and we must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. First the people partied, then they threw a dance. We, we, we must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that, remember, with 23,000 deaths in one day. We must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. Discontent destroyed them. These are all warning markers. Danger! In our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story 
are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. We have to see that if you are not putting effort I had this epiphany and I didn't ask her permission to share this and I won't share a lot of detail because I don't want to embarrass her. But my wife and I, I had a, we had an epiphany over this, this, this vacation. I won't go there. Don't worry. You're okay. <laughs> we had some moments, folks, but they're good. I bought my wife a book, uh, 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 this book from the States and brought the book in for our marriage. And she read the book, which is a great book and it was really our story. And the premise of the book was you just, you have to try. If you think your marriage is going to work just by being married, you're missing the point. you got to try. you got to work hard. And it's the same with our relationship with the Lord. What we often do is we get into this autopilot in our life where we think, and we think we do certain things. I'm a Christian. You know, I say this a lot. We go to church or read the Bible. But you do all these different things and think, okay, if I do this, 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 then I'm okay when our heart is not really engaged. What happens is, is that we slip into this danger reality where we don't even know that we're in a season where we actually are disengaged from an actual intimate relationship with Christ. We're doing all the right things. We feel like we're hitting all the marks, but in reality, our heart is disengaged. And the reason is, that's this 21 days, to go back to our, our heart, go back to Christ, go back to the beginning and say, okay, Lord, have I wandered? Have I gone to the danger zone? Has my mind gone back that direction? Am I buying the lies of fear and worry like I used to live? Have I given up on my marriage when last year I was excited and things went well and then I went back into autopilot and here we are again? Hey, look at that. I want to conquer these habits of addiction in my life for pornography or gambling or money or purchasing things at different places. Like, like I, want to, I want to overcome those things this year. I don't want to just go back into autopilot and think because I did good at one time, I'm always going to do good. You have to engage your heart if you do not you will slip into the danger zone just like the people of Israel did and you will find yourself in a place where you won't even know what happened. You'll, Solomon prayed for these people knowing that this was their potential. And it's interesting because when God now prayed in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, he very clearly says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, he gives you the very key, the very first step, the very first thing that you must understand about experiencing a breakthrough in your walk with God. It starts with humility. What is the opposite of humility? Pride. This would insinuate that our problem is pride. This would insinuate that there's a difference between humbling ourselves and being in a position of pride. I believe, with my own personal study and my own personal discovery of this study that I'm doing, that there is so much pride in our lives that it's like that elephant who was tied with a chain around his, his, his foot when he was a young baby, a little chain into a little stake. And eventually, this little elephant grows up to be this massive animal. And now it's still being chained up to this tiny, tiny stake because in its mind, it's learned. It doesn't think that it can break through in that thing. The reality is, is that many of us here today have to understand that, that we've accepted pride as a regular part of our lives. It's one of the biggest epidemics in our thinking when it comes to experiencing a transformation in our lives. And the reality is, I want to say this strongly as I can, the, the pride is the very hurdle that, that, will, that you'll stand against 
when you want to experience a relationship with God, when you want to see breakthrough in your life and your walk with the Lord, the very thing that you're going to face is pride. The very thing that's going to crop up in you is pride. God knew that our tendency was to go pride. He knows that. It takes humility to pray and seek God's face. It takes humility to turn from our wicked ways. It takes humility to recognize areas of our life that have been crowded out uh, and God is no longer there. It takes, it takes humility to recognize these things and say, okay, God, I don't like this, but I'm going to begin to not only identify them, but begin to submit my life to you. It takes humility to do those things. And Solomon's father, David, was in a, was in a, a very sinful relationship. He had an affair with Bathsheba, uh, and then he, uh, uh, he had committed adultery. And then he uh, ended up leading her husband Uriah to death. So he committed adultery and he committed murder. And David, the man after God's own heart, for over a year didn't say anything. He didn't confess, didn't repent, didn't do anything. So he went into this mode where he was kind of living a life for God. He was obviously a man after God's heart, but his heart was no longer engaged because pride had overcome him in that way. He continued to do the sacrifices in the temple. He continued to lead the people of God, but his heart was full of pride. And finally, Nathan the prophet came to him and said, hey, he told him this story about this. You can read it yourself. It's in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, or I'm sorry, 12. He told him this story and eventually uh, David got really ticked about this story. I can't believe somebody would ever do that. And Nathan said, that's you. You're the guy. You're the guy that stole that sheep. You're the guy that murdered that thing. That's you. And David repented and David humbled himself. And he wrote this in Psalms chapter 51. He wrote this beautiful poetry, this letter to identify where his heart was at. And he wrote this scripture in Psalms, uh, Psalms 51, 16 and 17. He says, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken, that word broken spirit is also the word, a connected word to humi a humble, humble spirit, broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. What David is identifying here is David is articulating what God likes and what God doesn't like. God, God does not like it when we just bring sacrifices, when we go through the motions and we do what we need to do and we, we, we walk through all the motions of religion when our heart is not engaged in the relationship with him. God does not like that. That is called pride. When we think that we can live our life and do the religious things and still be okay without God, that is called pride. He identifies what he does not like, but guess what? He also identifies what he does like. He identifies that in this scripture, he says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. So you need to couple this season, this 21 days of prayer and fasting. You need to couple your humility, your desire to go forward in God, your humility recognizing that I can't go any further without God. I need God in my life. Couple that with a humble repentance for the areas of your life where you might have strayed. And guess what? God loves it when you do that. He will minister to your life. He will transform your heart. He will do new things in your heart and in your mind like you've never seen before, God will minister to you. He will move in your heart. He will move in your mind. He will break habits and break addictions and break old ways of thinking. But it starts with your humility. 
It starts with you approaching the season, recognizing that there is a war inside of us. Romans 12.2 identifies this war. I've discovered this principle of life. I'm sorry, 12.21. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. James identifies it too in James 4.1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is, is, is it not this, that your passions, notice plural, passions are at war within you? This God nature in you, this humble desire in you, coupled with this prideful, sinful nature in you, is constantly at war with one another? What James identified in the next couple of verses will help you understand that this is the very key to seeing breakthrough in your life in this season. He says, what's going on among you? This jealousy and the striving and the difficulties you're facing, are they not just the pride and the humility, your, your sinful nature and your God nature just at war with one another? And this is how James says that you and I can counterattack it. This is what James identifies. He says this in James 4, 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes. That word mean, literally means he battles against the proud. But he gives grace. That word gives there means to shower means to minister, means to overwhelm. He gives grace to the humble. And then he identifies what the humble look like. Look what he says. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your, laugh, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I know this is not a popular message to preach to you today. I considered preaching about a lot of other things, but I could not stop going back to this reality that the way for you to experience breakthrough in this next 21 days is through recognizing that you have to submit yourself to God. You have to submit the areas of your life where you've wandered, the thought processes of anxiety that so overwhelm you that it's become a lifestyle of controlling other people or the idea of fear that you're not moving forward in a relationship with other people, especially in the Christian community because you're so afraid you're going to get hurt. Or maybe you've had dreams and passions and they haven't been fulfilled. And so you're left with this unmet expectation and you've got your finger pointed at God saying, God, why? This is the season when God wants to do breakthrough in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your prayer life, in your finances, in your marriage. God wants to do something new. And it starts with your position of humility. And he says it right here. What does humility look like? People who are submitted to God. People who resist the devil, people who draw near to God, people who cleanse their hands and purify their hearts, these types of people, these types of people will be exalted. There's a reward. There's a reward for you. Look back at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, just before our verse. Something amazing happens. Solomon constructs the temple. And he humbles himself and kneels before the people and he prays this prayer. And he identifies the sin and asks forgiveness for it. And then he stands up and look what happens in the temple. Second Chronicles 7, 1 to 3. When Solomon finished praying, this is what I'm believing for you. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. 
The priest could not even enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good and his love endures forever. When Solomon created a place of humility, a place of prayer, a place of fasting, a place where he says, Lord, I know we have wicked ways in our lives, Lord. We position ourselves saying, God, this season, do something new. The glory of God filled the temple in such a way that they couldn't even enter the presence of God. The priests couldn't even do their duties because it was so thick and so heavy and so tangible. The manifest presence of God came down in that place. If we jump to the New Testament, Jesus, as you know, came to earth. He died a sacrificial death on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, the very temple, the 90-foot veil, which was about this thick, heavy, really, really heavy, was torn from the very top to the very bottom. The veil that protected man from the presence of God was actually torn in two. An earthquake happened, and it says in the scripture, the veil was torn, ripped all the way down, and now there was the access to the Holy of Holies, to the manifest presence of God, which the high priest could only be in that atmosphere, was now open and available to all. And Jesus died. He was buried for three days. He rose again on the third day, and he visited with the disciples. And look what he said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Once, when, he, when Jesus was eating with them. He commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gifts he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus ascended up to the right hand of the Father. And it says in the scripture that the disciples were squinting. It says in the verse, look it up. He, they're squinting, trying to see Jesus go up into the clouds. And they looked over, and there's two men standing there. And they says, what are you looking for? He's gone. And he's going to come back down here the same way he went up. And then the scripture says this, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, about a distance of a half mile. And when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. And during this time, about 120 believers were all together. 120 believers in, the, in this, this place we call the upper room. And they're there waiting. Jesus had just ascended up into heaven. He's no longer there. All they have is a a promise that something is going to happen. All they have is a promise from Jesus that if you spend some time in the next week or so and you go up into that place, I promise you this, if you wait, if you pray, if you seek my face, something's going to happen in your life. Just wait. Just prepare yourself. These 120 people, they got on their hands and knees and they began to pray and they fasted and they said, God, what are you going to do? Jesus, what is this Holy Spirit? You've been talking about this move of God in my life and I don't even know what it is. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And it says in the scripture, on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. Sounds familiar. Well, while they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. That sounds familiar. Solomon erects his temple, prepares himself, prays, fasts, humbles his heart, 
And the manifest presence of God comes down. Now Jesus has ascended. He says, let's just wait. And as they're standing in the upper room praying, all of a sudden, the glory of the God fills the room and it comes down in fire and in wind like never before, a mighty rushing wind from heaven. And it says in the scripture, not the temple wasn't filled and the, the, the great big church down the street wasn't filled and it wasn't the McDonald's that was filled or the Starbucks that was filled. Do you want to know what was filled? The people were filled with the very presence, the very tangible, absolute manifest presence of God. And at that very moment, something happened. Something changed in their life. Do you not know that you are now the very temple of the Holy Spirit? That you are Solomon's temple? You are the temple of God. You are the very temple of God. And let me prove it to you with scripture. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Look at this in 2 Corinthians 6.16. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God said it, I will live with them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Do you know? That if you were to take some time in the next 21 days and humble yourself, the presence of the Holy Spirit will come like never before. And he will minister to your heart and to your mind like you experienced when you first met him. Like you experienced many years ago when you were at that conference or at that church meeting or in your home or in your car and you played that worship album. I see what you do. I see those tears coming down your face as you're exalting God and worshiping and the presence of the Lord comes in the room and fills you and your life has changed forever. I know that's happened to you and guess what? It can happen again. In the next 21 days, in this time frame, I believe that if you humble yourself, if you pray and you seek his face, if you fast and discover some areas in your life where you might have been out of focus, he's going to fill his temple. Last scripture here this morning, and Michael can come, Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, Paul says, I beg of you. Brothers and sisters, I'm pleading with you. This is what he's saying. Listen to what I'm saying. In view of God's mercy, in view of what Jesus did for you, in view of all that God does for your life, listen, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's read it again in the message paraphrase. And we're gonna go back into a time of worship in Romans 12, one and two. Look at this. This is my prayer for you this season. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday Ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in your life. You'll be changed from the inside out. Can you close your eyes with me for a moment here this morning? 
Maybe you're here today and you've never been filled with the Spirit. And that means many different things to many different people today. But I believe that in this season, the Holy Spirit wants to come like never before. He wants to fill you like never before. I believe that there are some people in the room who have been addicted to certain things in their life, whether whatever it might be, whatever addictive component might be in your life, that this is the season where the Holy Spirit wants to come and burn away the addiction like dross. A season where God wants to come in your mind. I just see minds here today that have just been ravaged by fear. I just, like you just can't live a normal life because fear has become your norm. Today, in this season, the Holy Spirit wants to come and he wants to transform your thinking to think faith instead of fear. Marriages that have been lost to challenge and tragedy and difficulty would be restored by the Spirit of God coming through a vessel of humility and God transforming and God doing something new. He wants to do something new in your life. I want to do something new in your life, says God. I just sense the heart of the Father today. I just sense His heart so strongly today that He just wants your heart He wants your heart. He, he wants your mind. He, he wants to, to go back to the days when there was such intimacy between you and him. When you would get in your car and you would just close your eyes for a moment and you just sense the spirit of God. He wants to come and he wants to do that in your life in this season. Oh, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you right now, Lord. We just humble ourselves. Lord, we start with humility. Father, uh, on my behalf, God, I, Lord, forgive me for pride, for thinking that I can do this without you, for thinking that I've got it all figured out, for thinking that I've done the right steps and therefore, God, I need your presence. God, I need your mercy. God, I need your grace today, God, and I just pray that your presence and your spirit and your mercy would minister to people's hearts and minds right now, holy God. Come on, we're going to go back into a time of worship, but just for a few moments, would you just sit with your eyes closed? And I just believe the Holy Spirit is even here right now in the quiet, the silence. He's ministering, He's speaking to you right now, whether you're a follower of Christ here today or you're not. He wants to speak to you. He wants your heart. He wants to minister to you today. Come on, Holy Spirit, right now, we invite you. We invite you, Holy Spirit. right now. Come on. He's just, I just see him doing a work right now. Physical healing. Mental healing right now. 
shifting perspectives. Come on, if you need something from the Lord right now, if you need change in your life right now, I encourage you, just begin to ask him to come. Come on, don't be shy, don't be prideful. Lay it down and just begin to ask him. Come on, Holy Spirit, right now. Jesus, thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.